are listening to the 4-7 Podcast, the podcast where two normal guys interview and reminisce about their favorite Christian artists from the 90s and today. Hey, hey guys, this is Mike and RJ from the 4-7 Podcast, where we are just two great normal guys. Actually, are we great? I think we're great. We can say yeah. that, right? We're pretty good. You're anything. We're okay, guys. We're okay. We're Humble guys. Humble brag. <laughs> Humble brag. <laughs> love it. We're just two guys who love Christian rock music. Back from the 90s till today, we love talking about the history, where they are, and wh- who they are, where they are today. And today, we have a special um, guest, Mr. Joe Yerke. Did, yeah. I say, did I say that right? You did. You did. Oh, Most right. people say Yerk, but you actually hit it the way it should be said. You know something? I, would, I was going to say, I put it in Google and just did like a sound check, but <laughs> I just totally winged it right there. Yeah, no, <laughs> but, good. You did. You did well. Now, let me get this. Now, I want to give you the, your proper introduction here. Mr. Joe Yerke is in one of the best ska Christian, band, Christian ska bands of the 90s, The Insiders. Yes. Yes. Joe, how, how are you doing today, Mr. Yerke? I'm hanging in. I have a house full of kids and dogs, and so I escaped to my daughter's bedroom where I can hopefully do this in peace. I'm sure at some point in this, I'm going to have a dog barking at the at the door or something, but hopefully they'll take care of that. Let me tell you something. So I have two kids. My wife... Long story short, my church actually bought another church, so my wife is part of the decorating committee. So she's like, Mike, I am going to Hobby Lobby and buying all the stuff. You're in charge of the kids. I'm like, well, I got a podcast. She's like, I'm going to the store and buying stuff. You're in charge of the kids. So I said, okay. So I said to my wait, daughter. Wait, what What church decorates from the Hobby Lobby? <laughs> right, then. I, are we just going to gloss over that? Yeah, well, that's what are you doing like a train set that's running throughout the church? Or Listen. well, on top of that, why are you buying other churches? Are you just taking over the area? Like, you know what? Take advantage of COVID while you can. That's right. Hey, <laughs> listen. They, hey, they... they need their bills paid. That's when you snap them up. <laughs> <laughs> Buy low, sell high. That's the, you know. Listen, this church was valued at four million dollars, mm-hmm. and we actually got the church for two hundred thousand dollars. You lowball them. You, the, low-ball you, them. you lowball them. And then in three years, you sell to the vineyard. That's what I said. I said that. I'm like, listen, Pastor Rob, what you can actually do is buy their church low. It doesn't work out. You sell for $4 million. Bada bing, bada boom. That's it. Yep. Fleece the Jehovah Witness (laughs) in about five years. And when do you just, when do you release the whole the whole um, the pastor and everybody? You just get rid of them in a couple weeks and then just yeah. take the church. That's it. Yep. That's it. That's, that's how you do it. Anyway, boom, done. So anyway, my, yeah, I, I have church. Yeah, <laughs> I have t- I have two kids as well, and I said to my daughter, I'm "Like, listen, Mama's not here. Your job is to stay in bed. And do not come downstairs." Very <laughs> good parenting. See that, how that works. Don't, yeah, don't let CPS listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> So, Joe, your your band, uh, the Insiders, um, you guys were started. It was in ninety five. You graduated high school. Yeah, we graduated high school. Uh, we kind of started as a high school project uh, yeah, yeah. That, that we did like a talent show. Yeah, and we kind of did it for that. And then after that, we still had fun, and we we just kind of got into it. Our drummer and I, uh, Nate Shogren, he. Uh, he kind of introduced me to more ska than I actually knew. The only, the only band that I knew was the mighty, mighty boss tones. Yeah. yeah. And he was like, I had, you know, told him I'd asked him like, Hey, have you ever heard of this band? He's like, heck yeah. You need to listen to these guys and these guys and these guys. And so he kind of sent me down that road that I've never looked, never looked back. And every, I think I've said it multiple times. People have heard me say this, that not a day goes by that. I don't 
listen to some sort of ska. Really? Till this day still? To this day. I mean, whether I'm, depending on what what level of ska that is, whether it's punk ska, whether it's traditional, uh, whatever the case may be, I, yeah, I don't think a day goes by where something isn't, well, I'm taking a shower, I'm in the car, uh, some song comes on at some point. Not going to lie, when I'm in that shower, I put YouTube videos on, I'm taking showers with, I'm watching The Office. Best time of the best time of the go. best time of the day. There you go. The most peaceful forty-five minutes of the day. Yeah, yeah. So what forty-five are some minute of the... shower? Holy listen, smoke! My water all, bill is through. Pruny. Yeah. Yo, don't, listen, I got a big body over here. I'm not no slender, hundred and forty-five pound guy anymore. <laughs> what are you gonna do with that church's money you bought? Just take showers. All there the you time. go. Just rack up their water bill and then sell it to the next guy. That's not a bad idea. Hey, that's how it goes. So, so you mentioned just now you you did you only knew the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones, and then all of a sudden you're getting yeah. introduced to all these bands. What are some of the bands that are still on your on your playlist? Um, some of those early bands that I was introduced to were uh, a band called The Siren Six. They were out of Milwaukee, I believe. Uh, they're fantastic. Uh, a little six piece um, band. You can find them on on iTunes. All that. Um, uh, locally here, we had the Suicide Machines, we had Mustard mm-hmm. Plug, we had the Exceptions, um, another fantastic band locally here that I still listen to to this day is uh, a band called the Parka Kings, P-A-R-K-A Kings. Um, that sounds very familiar. Those guys are fantastic. Uh, so I kind of like got led down this road where I, I was like a jock growing up. I played football, soccer, mainly soccer. And then in high school, met up with our drummer, Nate, and someone was like, a, a friend of mine had bought his seven inch. He was in a, a Christian ska core, or a, I'm sorry, a Christian hardcore band. And um, I saw somebody with like his record. He was buying, he was selling seven inches at school. And this was like 94. I think this was 94. Maybe it was 95, but I think it was 94, our junior year. And Oh, I'm sorry. No, that was a completely, it was our, it was our sophomore year. And he, uh, he was selling these albums. And so I went up to him and I'm like, I'd never met him before. He just moved to town. His parents, uh, I didn't know this, but his parents had just been transferred in the Salvation Army as being pastors, uh, in Wisconsin to now pastors in my hometown of Royal Oak, Michigan. And so I went up to him and was like, Hey, you know, are you in a Christian band? And he's like, yeah. And he was kind of like real defensive about it. And I was like, Oh, let me buy an album from then on. Uh, me and him kind of became friends. The only like underground band that I knew was the boss tones. And I stumbled upon them. That's a whole nother long story, but I stumbled upon them. So when I'm talking to him, he was like the, he was like the, the go-to as far as underground music. And so for me, the only like cool chip I had in the game was to say, Oh yeah, I know cool underground music. Have you ever heard of the boss tones? And he was like, are you kidding me? He's like, yeah, they're a ska band. I had no clue what ska was. I just knew the boss tones. And so he explained to me like what ska was and all of that. And then, like I said, he started, Hey, you know, if you like the boss tones, you should listen to these guys. You should listen to these guys and kind of led me down that road. And, and, yeah, and then that's kind of where we we started our sound. So the the band that we had at high school for this talent show had um, like our good friend Al Brown, our original trumpet player. Like he played trumpet, so we were like we kind of have all the pieces to a ska band. And growing up in the Salvation Army, we have so many people that 
like horn players at our disposal that we were able to just, if we needed a trombone player, boom, we had one. If we needed a trumpet player, boom, we had one. And we could always just find those horn, horn players where most kids, I kind of think that's the tough pieces to find if you even want to start a ska band. But um, yeah, so that's kind of, I don't know if I answered your question, but that's. No, you did. That's no, yeah. good. So here's my question. So when you met, when you met him, were you a Christian at that time? Yes. How did you become a Christian? Um, I'm one of those guys that as far back as I can remember, I've like, as far back as I can remember, I've been a Christian growing up. I just accepted Christ as like a a little kid and my whole life, I've just kind of weighed that out. Um, you know, even now as a 43 year old looking back, like I clearly remember in first grade and second grade, like making decisions based on, you know, this, this is right or wrong uh, as applying it to the Bible, as opposed to it's right or wrong because I'm going to get in trouble for my parents. So, you know, and then, and then growing up, I, I remember one time uh, it was early on with the insiders. Um, So again, I've, I've kind of been a Christian my whole life, my senior year, I really started taking it kind of more serious uh, in, in high school. And, as soon as we got out with the insiders, like one of our, our first tours, uh, we played this big liberal college in California. And um, wait, there's liberal colleges in California? Yeah, it's crazy. Get out they're, of here! Yeah, there really are. <laughs> and so we played out there, and there was a guy who had a table set up and a Bible out, and he was kind of part of like their their campus life crew. He had no clue that we were playing the college, so that's how good the the show was promoted. Um, <laughs> But, you know, being this kid that's out of Michigan for the first time, I like went up to him and I'm like, hey, man, what's up? Uh, You know, my name's Joe. We're in from out of town. We're playing over here. We're in a Christian band. And this guy was like completely unfazed by it. And I was kind of like thrown off. And I was like, yeah, I'm a Christian. And he's like, how Christian are you? And I'm like, what do you mean? And he goes, do you believe in the Bible? And I said, yeah. And he goes, do you believe every single word in the Bible? And I was like, well, yeah. And he was like, why? And I go, because it's God breathed. And that's that. And he was like, absolutely. He's like, we don't pick and choose. You know, we don't, we don't, this book does not, we don't tailor it to our lives. Our lives need to be tailored to the book. And that's something that stuck with me that I, you know, I was probably 18, maybe 19 when I, you know, when he said that to me. And so that's something that, even in the last week, I said to somebody, uh, it's just something that's always stuck with me. So I've always considered myself a Christian as far back as I can remember, really started taking it seriously, like the later stages of high school. Yeah. And what made that easy was this group of guys that like I got connected with. So I got connected with Nate. Um, I was connected with Al and then they hooked me into their, their church. Like my church youth group was huge. Like it was mammoth. Um, well, mammoth to my standards, it was like maybe 400 kids, but it, it, whoa, 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 400 kids. Yeah. Like, yeah. My, when my, you youth- said, when you were going to say mammoth, you were like, we said, Oh, big to me. I thought you were going to be like 15, 20 kids. No, no, my 400. Yeah. My, my youth group was about 400 kids growing up. Wow. That's four. And, that's four times bigger than my church right now. Just to put that yeah. in perspective. Yeah, no, that's what it was for me, but it was, it had grown stale. So like we had this huge youth group. We had, so we had 
quantity. We didn't have quality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm not knocking my youth pastor. Like the youth pastors that we had were great. It was just the kids weren't like the it, it, there was there weren't there wasn't a fire. Like our our pastor was like really good and he was really hot coals, but there was just no fire from it. And so it had kind of grown stale. And so I started hanging out with Nate and these other guys and they kind of brought me to their youth group and their youth group is what we were talking about. Like it was like 15, 20 kids. And so all of a sudden I'm in with 15, 20 kids and everyone knows everyone. When you're in a youth group of 400 kids, like there's kids that you don't know, you know, there's clicks, there's all this. When you're in a youth group of like 20 kids, like, yeah, there's kids that kind of hang out more with others, but pretty much all 20 kids were hanging out. Yeah, It was like every Friday night, it was over at somebody's house or every Saturday night. And it was such a tight knit um, youth group that uh, it was awesome. So then I started going to his church and hanging out with him. And and so then the the insiders just kind of evolved from that. Well, I, I love what you're saying because there's two things that really stuck with me, what you just said first. That's how RJ and I actually met. We met actually at youth group. What was that? 2000. What'd you start going to our youth group project? 2000. 2000 about 2000. 2000. Mm-hmm. And we had a, okay. So Rhode Island's different. Rhode Island, a big youth group was like 40 or 50 kids. Okay. That's what we that's had. A mega church right that's, yeah, that's, okay. a, that's a mega church. That's a mega church. That's what we had. And um, we had a very, I loved my youth group. We had some mm-hmm. great, great people there. An amazing youth pastor. But what else really stuck with me was, when you said when you were talking to that gentleman on the campus and you said, do you believe in the Bible? And you're like, well, yeah, cause it's God breath. Like to me, that's amazing. And I love that because one, it's biblical, but two, I'm finding, especially now in the climate we live in, some Christians don't even actually take the Bible literal anymore. They don't yeah. take it for what it is. They just take Correct. it for yeah. what, what, what drives me nuts is when I see, liberal Christians who will go, but you know something? Um, like abortion or something of that nature. It's like, well, it's okay. It's, it's, it's Well, is it really okay? The Bible says it's wrong. So why don't we take Correct. it literal anymore? R- right. No, I, I agree. And it's like, like I said, every word in the Bible I believe in. There's stuff I don't like. Like there's things that if I had my druthers, I wish weren't in there, but it's not up to me. Right. Like (laughs) I didn't write it. I don't, I didn't create the universe. So I'm glad that there's a bar set that Joe Yerke isn't setting that bar. So, you know, when, when all that comes out, you know, there were things at age 16 that bummed me out about the Bible. But again, just because you're bummed out, it's, I, I look at it like a parent telling that their kid, they can't eat McDonald's every single day. You know what I mean? Like you're bummed out. You can't eat McDonald's, but like, okay, I get it. Like I get it. It's, it's better for me. If I don't eat McDonald's every day, it's healthier. Mm. Same thing with the Bible. It's, it's healthier. Um, but you know, at, at different seasons in our life, we can be bummed out about like, man, you know, like, Oh, I wish, I wish this wasn't against it. I I wish there, there Mm -hmm. wasn't these things in there. So, I mean, as you grow up and you go through seasons, then you, you get over like maybe that one hump and then it's the next thing. And you know what, you know, I don't know what, I don't want to say what bums me out, but the things that make me think like, 
you know, as a Christian at age, you know, at, at my age, at age 40, I find myself saying I'm 43 years old. I say this on a daily basis to people. It's become like the thing that drives me nuts every single day on every podcast I do, or I'm on at some point I go, well, I'm 43. <laughs> I hate it. But, but anyway, you know, so like where I am in, in my life now, you know, there, there's, there's things in there that make it difficult. And I'm going to give an example. So a few years ago, I got divorced. After my divorce, I started dating my wife now. So as a 39-year-old, you know, a 38-year-old who's starting to date again, like within that, you want to say like, okay, um, you know, like living with someone. Like, you know, it's weird as a 38-year-old to like tell your buddies and stuff like that, that like you're not sleeping over at someone's house and that you're driving home every day and you're not living with them. And then when you're thinking about getting married up until the wedding date, like you're still living separate. Mm. Like those are things that like as a 43 year old or, or when I was like 38, you know, whatever doing that stuff, those are those things that it's like, I know the Bible says this, however, like I'm not 16 years old anymore, Mm -hmm. but the Bible says what it says. So who, who am I to question it? So therefore lived separately until wedding day and all that stuff. So I love it. I love that. Yeah. Uh, just to give you a little heads up, I, I got into you uh, and the insiders uh, when I was a young Christian, I, I became a Christian in high school and um, I listened to some ska bands here in Rhode Island. One of them being Monty's fan club, which uh, became Monty RI and uh, awesome, awesome ska band. And my friends who were Christian were like, Hey, you know, there's some, Christian alternatives to this stuff too. Um, and so that's when I started getting into like the insiders, five iron frenzy, the W's, um, and a couple other ones like that. And, yeah. uh, I know that there's a lot of people that say this, probably your original music is amazing stuff. Um, your original music was, was really, really good at, but you obviously uh, saw a lot of success when you started coming out with uh, the worship side of it as well. A lot yeah. of the worship covers, uh, Scalaluya, things like that. Yeah. Um, and I heard I could sing of your love forever, which I think was on Scalaluya two, um, and step by step and morning into dancing. And I just never heard anything like that. I went to a church where we sung, I could sing of your love forever. It's one of my favorite songs. Um, but it was an old lady with a guitar and somebody with a tambourine. Sure. And so hearing some of these songs oh, done the in these cool, yeah. One lady in the front hitting the tambourine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so to hear these songs done well and done f- like fun, it made worship fun, was really cool to me. I was in a band at the time. We tried doing the same thing. Didn't sound as good, but it was fun. Um, and it really brought worship for me to a whole different level. So oh, good. Um, that's kind of where where you came in, you know, for me. Yeah. Um, what was it like back then? Um, you know, when you I know you you had your original music, you got into the kind of worship thing. What was your reaction to how big that got? Um, on the worship side. Um, I can't speak for the other guys in the band, but me personally, I couldn't stand it. And that might, yeah, that might be a bomb to drop, but that's a huge bomb. So (laughs) when the insider started, the reason we started it was we wanted to take Christ to the kids in the clubs. Yeah. So those kids that Friday and Saturday nights were at, were at, you know, concerts and things like that. We wanted to be able to put out good music that was on par with the people who they were coming to see in the headliners. Mm-hmm. And then when they talked to us after the show, hopefully they'd see something different. We can, you know, do kind of like a relationship ministry 
those types of things. And they could see that there's something different about us and we bring something different to the table. Then we were thinking long-term, if we were ever blessed to be able to put out a CD or an album, people could then read the words. Like, I mean, let's be honest, like when you're at a concert, especially like if you go see Aerosmith, yes, maybe you can understand the words because the sound systems are amazing. But when you're like teenage punk shows, the sound systems aren't good. So we figured like when the kids buy the album, they read the lyrics and then they learn even more about us. Um, So that was our goal as the insiders. The thing was when we started, we didn't know what our sound was. So basically what we did is we didn't say like, Hey, we're going to have our first practice on Saturday and show up with like a bunch of original songs. What we did is we wanted to know what our style was. So when we showed up for like practice the first day, we would screw around with like praise and worship songs. And so we would practice praise and worship songs and figure out how we were as musicians. Um, figure out what our strengths, what our weaknesses were. Mm-hmm. So we ended up getting down like three, maybe four praise and worship songs that that we would play to like warm up for practice. Then like after a few practices, I would bring songs to the table or other guys would, and we would do our originals. Well, within weeks of like our first practice, I think we'd been a band for like three weeks. We ended up getting our first show. We go to the show we play our three songs and we have like 20 minutes to play and you have your three songs and it's your first show. You're full of adrenaline. So every song is double time. And so you fly through your three songs. You know, we had, like I said, like 20 minutes to play. We flew through three songs in like 12 minutes. (laughs) So now we have to fill more time. So we're like, uh, let's just play some praise and worship. So we ended up, playing those praise and worship songs like almost as filler and kids in the crowd that you know whatever their background was like they ended up enjoying it things like that so from that point at every show we were kind of throwing in some praise and worship songs to as just filler that like that's all it was was filler now to say it's filler doesn't mean that we were singing at hollow it like we we gave the song the respect and the lyrics, the respect that it deserved. And the emotion that we showed on stage playing those songs was true emotion. But if we had 10 originals, we would have played 10 originals and we would have saved the praise and worship for when we were at church. Mm -hmm. So we did that. We ended up getting enough originals to then when our album came out, we put out motor city ska And a lot of our fans were like, wait a second, where's the praise and worship? So we were like, well, we're not a praise and worship band. Like we're a, we're a punk ska band and we're Christians in a punk ska band. And our mission is to go into clubs and share the word. Well, that was before social media and all that stuff. So you, you can't get your point across to people unless they come to shows and see you Mm -hmm. or unless you have an article written about you. And, you know, the, the, you know, the journalist does word for word and not just kind of summarizes what you're saying and things like that. So long story short, our fans, like when they would come see us at shows after kind of like word had gotten out, uh, so many people were like, do a praise and worship, do praise and worship, do praise and worship. So we were like, you know what, let's do a praise and worship album to kind of satisfy your fans. Cause again, at the end of the day, they are your fans. They're the ones coming. You know, if, if I go to a, 
MC Hammer concert and I pay my hundred dollars to see MC Hammer, he better play too legit to quit and he better play hammer time. If he doesn't, I'm going to be ticked off. What did I pay a hundred bucks for? So as an artist, you have to balance like your artistic direction, but you also have to take your fans into account because they're the ones paying your bills. So we put out this album again, long story longer. We put out this album uh, to kind of give it to our fans who, who wanted it. And then from then on, that was like the, that was like the bullet to the head as far as in the Christian music scene. Like once we did that, we were in the Christian music scene, the hooks were in us. And then it was like, you know, every, you know, like every tour we want to go on, it's, you know, we're, we're trying to figure out if we're going to open for, you know, newsboys or audio adrenaline or the super tones or, you know, whatever big Christian band. And that's not what we wanted to do. Like our goal was like to be on warp tour, you know, our goal was to open for the suicide machines and, and to just do the clubs and do all that stuff. Just, yeah, go ahead. So with, with all that said, it's kind of like, it makes, me, it makes me think, like, there are times in our life where we're like, God, I want to do this. But then all of a sudden, God gives you a 180 and it's like, no, 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 I want you to do this. So how hard was it to, to, to realize that what you wanted to do and what God was doing was on maybe, maybe two different things? I mean, it, that's not an easy answer. It's something that, I'll say it again, at age 43, <laughs> um, it's something that I think about often. And there's days, there's seasons like where I look back at the insiders and I think like we accomplished a lot and we did like, I'm proud of what we did. And then there's seasons where I wake up and I'm like, it wasn't like our mission that we set out to do. Now you're, you're correct when you say what we wanted to do and what God had, you know, different plans there. I understand it. I'm not butthurt about it. I don't go to bed like crying about it. But if if I could have had my way, you know, I would have liked the insiders to kind of gone in a different direction. And and I think unfortunately what happens is you're 18, 19, 20 years old and you start getting booked for shows and and the here's the thing. Everything always starts out really good. Yeah. 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 So we were, we were fine with like when the insider started, we didn't know that there was a Christian scene. So when we were in Detroit, all we did was play clubs. All we did was play with mainstream and like secular bands. It wasn't until we went to cornerstone and kind of got signed. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, booking agents and stuff like that. Like we would try out different booking agents and like, we're being booked at churches every night and we're being booked with other Christian bands. Well, when that starts, you're like, Oh, this is cool. Like I didn't even know there was a Christian scene and you're meeting other Christians and bands and stuff like that. And it makes you think like, Hey, we're not alone. There's other people out here doing this with the same goal as us. But then like one tour turns to two, which turns to six, which turns to 10. And then pretty soon you find yourself where you're thinking like, Oh, you remember like three years ago when we played that one club with this mainstream act. And then you realize you're looking at your itinerary for the next year and a half. And it's, 
like Christian youth camp. Uh, you know, it's, it's like a two month tour with, with other Christian bands. And then when that tour ends, it's, it's youth conventions and it's acquire the fire and it's, you know, the 700 club. And it's, it's doing all of these things that keep you in your bubble. And so when that like luster wears off and you realize like, you know, you've, you've kind of had your fun, you're like, wow, this was really cool. By then you're locked in because the money was too good. You have a manager, you have a road manager, you have a booking agent and then ska bands. The problem with ska bands is how do you divide up the money? If you're a punk band and you get paid a hundred bucks, everybody gets paid 25 bucks and your manager gets paid 25 bucks. When you're a ska band and you get paid a hundred bucks and you have eight guys in the band and you have to pay a road manager and you have to like the numbers get a lot smaller. So once you're kind of like in the Christian music industry and you're playing like those, I'll just say it like those cushy Christian shows. Oh yeah. You know, you're not slugging it out at a, you're not slugging it out at, at some industrial park club on a Friday night where you're guaranteed 150 bucks, you're guaranteed a pizza and then you'll get $2 a head for every, you know, for every ticket that's bought, you know, from there. So like if you can really pull your weight in a mainstream show, like you might make $500, you know, if you have a great turnout, I mean, in the Christian scene, we wouldn't, you know, we had booking agents and what would happen is they would like go to a mega church and some mega church would pay like $8,000, you know, and then have other churches kind of toss in money. And then we would go to that town and there would be, you know, a thousand kids at the show. But I mean, we were like draining youth groups of their, of their, you know, of their money. And like, we're taking eight grand because like, we all had to get paid. Like I said, everybody had to get paid. Mm -hmm. So then you find yourself like, okay, well now I have a house, you know, I got married and, and I have a house and I have a mortgage and I have car payments and I have insurance payments and I have all these things. So at that point to say, you know what, we're going to leave the Christian industry to go back to doing, that's where it becomes like, uh, I, I don't, you know, that's where it becomes like real tough and, and you don't, it's just not feasible. Oh, and yeah. so, you know, we, decided to just keep doing what we're doing and we would play the the Christian camps and we would play the acquire the fires and we would do the Christian days at six flags and we would do all that stuff because it paid the bills. We enjoyed doing it. We loved doing it, but that's just not what we set out to do. Yeah. So going back a little bit, you mentioned Cornerstone, how you got, how you got um, signed. Yeah. There's a there's a kind of a cool story to that because like I kind of feel like that's another kind of a god story how you will go right. into it but you kind of like you had a malfunction in a generator yeah and you couldn't play yeah yeah so we our drummer Nate was like the best like dude in the band like he was constantly on the phone calling people all the time getting shows so Cornerstone was coming up he had gone to Cornerstone. Um, years prior before we were a band, he told us about it. It's like Christian Woodstock, blah, blah, blah. So we want to go. So we get fired up to go. We're just going as campers. We paid our money. We have our campsite. And what's funny is we actually shared a campsite with five iron. So the first time we ever went to Cornerstone, it was our campsite, five irons campsite. 
And then uh, another Christian band that was out there called Johnny Respect. It was us, Johnny Respect, and Five Iron Frenzy. We went there because Nate had pestered Brandon Ebel from Tooth and Nail to give us a spot on his stage. So Brandon was like, absolutely, come down here. We'll give you 20 minutes. You can play like the Tooth and Nail stage. And at that time, the Tooth and Nail stage was like a an eight foot by eight foot stage. It was just small and a little tent. Yeah, yeah. And so we went down there thinking, okay, we're going to get a half hour or 20 minutes to play the tooth and nail stage. Their generator ended up going out and was out for like four hours. Mm-hmm. So all of the actual tooth and nail bands that were supposed to play in that time, when they got the generator running again, obviously they slotted in their bands over bands like us that weren't signed by them or, or, you know, or anything. So we ended up not being able to play the tooth and nail stage. And we were like, you know what? Screw it. Our, again, Nate, our drummer, uh, found somebody that had a generator that was camping was like, Hey, can we use your generator for like an hour? Use the generator. We plugged in our instruments and we just did a set at our campsite tons of people ended up showing up like all these people came and watched it our campsite was kind of like down in like a bowl and so everybody was like standing around you know going up like a hill all around us and we played whatever like a half hour set there happened to be a record executive guy who was walking to the main stage who heard us gave us his card ended up dialoguing with us and then from then on um our music career I guess you could say t- took off. We, I mean, we were on multiple labels that went bankrupt. We were always the kiss of death, but that was the first that of is, many. That is true because yeah, you, you went you went from Squint, which went, which during yep. the whole folding of record labels, that that well, I want to say something about Squint Records. Squint had a really good opportunity um, to be a really good label, but then when I if I remember correctly. It folded during the time when the music industry really started to change and around 2002, 2003. Yeah, something like that. But Squint wasn't our first. Our first we were on, Motor City Scott came yes. out on a label called Gumshoe. Yes, yes, I remember that now, yep. And we signed like a four-album deal with Gumshoe. And so Gumshoe put out Motor City Scott and they went bankrupt. But they wouldn't release us from our contract. So... Like we can't put out any albums because these, you know, morons went bankrupt and they're not letting us go. They're like, well, as soon as we get the money and get back on our feet, we'll start pumping out records again. Yeah, right. Like that happens overnight. (laughs) So somehow Steve Taylor, who was running Squint, was started it. Steve Taylor like went to the people who are now in charge of Gumshoe and was like, hey, can we just have like a one album real, you know, the insiders can just do this one album with us and then they'll go back to you. It'll keep them relevant. It'll keep all that. So somehow that got, that got, um, agreed upon. So that's why we were able to put that one album out on squint. And so if you go back and you look in our history, we only had one album out on squint and that's all it was, was just a one album deal. And so we were gumshoe, then I went to Squint. During this whole time, um, KMG Records, which is owned by Buddy Killen, correct, 
he came in and wanted to start like a Christian end of his music company. And he thought the insiders would be a good cornerstone to start that. So he actually basically just bought Gumshoe. We were in like, um, like legal, all sorts of like legal stuff, suing to get out of the contract, all the stuff. So he just basically came in and bought Gumshoe and was like, okay, we bought Gumshoe. Here's your royalties. Are we good? You still owe us three albums. We were like, yeah, we can live with that. And then in typical insider fashion, then KMG went bankrupt. (laughs) So then, yeah, so we, we slit their throat. Yeah. And then, uh, <laughs> and so after a couple albums, uh, so then we got signed. You know, obviously this is going way further than your questions have already. But then, no, we, I, yes, this is good. I love, yeah. hist- I love history of music like this. Yeah. So then we got signed uh, when we decided to do an album in like 2005 or something. When we did soundtrack to a revolution, fantastic album, by the way. Yes, thank you. I really like that one too. And um, did you kill Floodgate too? Yes. Yep. Tim Tabor's floodgate. We ruined that one. He had to like close up shop for quite a while till he could uh, open the doors again. Yes. We did. We just kill everyone. Uh, And you can even go so far as to say our last album that we did sinner's Songbook. that was a Kickstarter project. So we were basically our own label and I don't think we're ever going to do another album again, just because of schedules and writing and creativity and all that stuff. So I think we even killed ourselves uh, <laughs> with, with that last album. Hey, I want to bring it back to KMG records. I'm an old yeah. school Christian rock fan. Okay. KMG records. They were kind of, um, they, they were an eclectic to say the least, a bunch of people they had. Yeah. One of my favorite bands of all time was everyday life. I'm not sure if you remember them. Yes, I do. They were a very they had everyday life. You had Heather Miller. You got the insiders, obviously. You had the, you had Michael Knott as the as Brown Beat. You had Mortal. Mortal was a classic. But actually, fun fact: the bassist in Switchfoot is actually was the bassist in Mortal back in the day. Yeah. See, I I actually knew him from after Mortal. I knew him from Fold Zandura. Ooh, that okay. Let me tell you something. That is one of those bands. They were on. They came out on Beck Records. They released was it one album, maybe two. They they were yeah, they were they were two. a good they were a good band. Yeah, our first tour we ever did. So we got signed by Gumshoe. Gumshoe sent us to California to record at the Green Room, um, which was owned by Gene Eugene yep. from Lost Dogs and Adam Again. And so while we were recording there, they put together uh, Fold Zandura and another. Uh, another band called Bloomsday. I don't know if you remember them. That's no, like that sounds a, really familiar. They're like, I mean, they're old school, old school, like emo, like nothing like what kids today would think would be emo, but like the original emo, like we're talking like far sunny day real estate. Bloomsday sounded like sunny day real estate. And so um, they decided to like throw us on this tour. So our first couple shows, it was, we we opened and then Bloomsday played and then Fold Zandura closed the show. They headlined. And so our very first tour, we get to go out with Jerome and Gyro and Frank Lenz. All three of those guys, you know, were in Fold. And those are like three legends. Like Absolutely. If, you, if you had a Christian music hall of fame, all three of those guys would be in that hall of fame. Absolutely. Yeah. They were they were a really, really good band. They actually yeah. also uh what the so 
Uh, not was it Gyro? I think no, Gyro was on. He was the house producer for Metro One Records back in the day. Yeah, he yep. produced like spoken albums. He produced um, Crystal Lewis. He produced mm-hmm. Megadeth. All those albums. And then I believe on Metro One Records they um, went ahead and produced, or they made the group Juggernaut back in the day as well. I don't remember that. Yeah, I don't remember it, that band. It was it was it was it was actually Mortal just rebranded as Juggernaut. They released literally one album. Okay. Um, but you are right. They are legendary. In, yeah. In, in yeah. The music those guys industry. are. Yeah, absolutely legit. And what's cool? There's a there's another there's another podcast. Uh, somebody does. Uh, forgive me. Uh, if you're the one who doesn't, you may be listening. Forgive me. But it's called As the Story Grows. I saw and, that you were on that. You were on that. Uh, yeah, and yeah, then yes. here's one with Frank Lenz. So if somebody's listening, uh, again, a Hall of Famer, um, Frank Lenz is is on one of those. And his story, I mean, he he makes mine look like a, a friggin', you know, bazooka comic book, you know, comic out of a piece of gum. His story is like legit. So that's a good listen too. Um, but yeah, so our first like that was our first tour was going out with those guys and. And that was amazing. So yeah, Jerome and Gyro and Frank for like our first year of like being in the Christian world, like they took us under their wing. Um, you know, we were like these, you know, bright eyed kids from, from Detroit, from the Midwest. And we just thought this like Christian, you know, this Christian scene was going to be great. And then you start to realize like, okay, well you get stiffed for payment here, you know, record label politics, all this stuff. So as these things started popping us, popping up and getting us down, like full Zandura was kind of there to like, you know, they were like those veterans that were like, Nope, this is going to happen. Stay the course, that type of stuff. So yeah, they were, they were like great kind of like mentors for us for a good, you know, six to eight months. Like you literally struck gold in the first tour. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, it was crazy. So that that first tour, it was us, then Bloomsday, and then Fold would would close. And by the third show, the kids that were coming because like the posters or the promotions would say like ska, like a ska band. All the kids were coming to see the ska band. So if we had like, excuse me, if we had like three hundred kids show up, we would play. And then the kids would hang around and then Bloomsday would get up and it was just a complete opposite end of the spectrum. And the kids would all leave and then fold would get up and there'd be, you know, their fans that came. And, and so there might be like 50, you know, 50 people there and 250 people had left. And so real quick, like I said, those guys are vets and they didn't take it on the chin and they didn't sulk about it. You know, they, they, they came to us and said, Hey, look, man, you guys got a headline. So our very first tour ever, these vets come to us and say, you guys got a headline because we need the kids to stick around. And that's what happens. So then, like I said, from like maybe the second or third show on Bloomsday would open then fold. And then we would headline, um, you know, for, for the crowd's sake and, and for all that stuff. So that, that was real weird. But like I said, those guys were like, I mean, you you could get all pissy. We we've played with. Oh, sorry, I don't know if I could say that on here. But like we've we've played with. Uh, I don't know how how rated this is. Hey, but, you Audrey's, know, Audrey's choking a beer anyway. It doesn't matter. Okay. Me. Oh man, I, I, I would have brought I one. How did you even know that? It's I been saw, over here the whole time. I, I saw it earlier. <laughs> there you go. Um, 
but it's keeping it off. We that, hey, bring it on. That's fine. <laughs> but we've played with some bands that I mean, the backstage politics were so pathetic that yeah, it was like embarrassing to be on that tour. And what I'm trying to say is, Fold was not that. That's like awesome. those guys were just so, hey, get out there. This is your moment. Have it. And so I, I will always be forever indebted to those guys for for just how they mentored us. And they were really awesome. Yeah, that's that's awesome. So just to recap, you've you've murdered Squint, KMG, yep. Floodgate. Uh, then there is a nine year gumshoe between gumshoe. Yeah. Uh, there's nine years hiatus between your soundtrack to revolution and the sinner songbook. Yeah. What, what is happening in those nine years? Um, what made you guys want to come back and do something independently? Uh, inspiration first was dead. So within those nine years, you, it takes you like a few years just to get all that out of your head. Right. So you've left the band you have new career opportunities. You're getting into those careers. You're you're doing those things now. You get in the rat race, and then all of a sudden, you know, um, anniversaries come around. Like, oh, ten years ago we did this, or five years, you know, whatever that was. And so suddenly, your the nostalgia, the reminiscing, and and then you all get to a point where everybody in the band kind of grew. And so like when you, when I listen to motor city sky, like I love when people say that they love that album and things like that. When I listen to it, it's embarrassing because it's, it's songs written by a 17 year old. And so (laughs) the, the point of view, the things that the things that I'm singing about as a 17 or 18 year old have nothing to do with what, when I wrote soundtrack to a revolution, you know, it was, I, I was older. I had kids. I was married. I'd been through like ups and downs. And so then it's almost like my Christianity um, was like more real to me. Like it wasn't like the, the fantasy rainbow and unicorn Christianity. Mm-hmm. It was like a little bit more weathered, you know, I wasn't like the new guy getting, like I always think of it in like war terms, you know, when we watch like World War II movies and like the rookies are getting off the boat and like getting on the island, like, oh, this is awesome. We finally get to see action. And they're they're excited about what lies ahead, whereas the vets are grizzled. They've they've seen the worst. They've been through it. So when soundtrack was written, that's what it was like. We'd kind of been through some stuff and I was older, so I was able to write from a point of view of of where I was in my life at that point. And so it, the album kind of like wrote itself. Like it was very, very simple to write that album. And um, I don't think it's, I don't think it's known, but it's also not a secret that like our guitar player and I never got along. And so half the reason I would say 90% of the reason I stopped the insiders to begin with, like the first time we, we kind of like called it quits. I, c- I couldn't deal with our guitar player anymore. Like I was done with him. And so at the point where we went to put out soundtrack to a revolution, he was gone. He was out of state. He was like out of, out of my life. And so when we decided to put this new thing together, we had a guy who we were able to bring in on guitar, someone who clicked with all of us. And like I said, the album basically wrote itself. It was so simple to write. Now, because the guitarist left, would that be the reason why 
there was a kind of a different change in the sound of a more yeah because yeah, i noticed that there was definitely more of a modern fuller sound to your music at that point yeah when when kyle our old guitar player like he wasn't our original we actually started with a kid named caleb but when we started touring uh, and getting bigger, Caleb was still in high school, so he couldn't come with us. So we basically had to boot him out of the band. Mm. And and so what we did is it it happened so quick. We were like, we need a guitar player. And the band Johnny Respect, prior to bringing Johnny Respect, they were a band called Cloud Break. And Kyle was their guitar player, was one of their guitar players. So just being in the local music scene, we were like, Kyle, you want to play with us? And, you know, just like anybody you meet for the first time, like everybody kind of has masks up and everything is good and you don't make waves and everything kind of went, he played the songs and he was real good on guitar and he was able to do those things. Well, now he's part of the band and we go to like, you know, record our, our next album or things like that. Cause basically, uh, you know, basically stuff was written when he came in. And so then we go to write our next albums and his style of music was just, was just different. Like he, like he loved like black Sabbath. He loved like that old school, like, you know, that old school metal, like Sabbath, you know, any band that you want to put that would tour with Sabbath, like that's what he loved. And so he wasn't like a sky guy. He wasn't like a reggae guy. Um, he didn't like, he didn't hang out with any of us. Like he wasn't, he hung out with our trumpet player, uh, Al, but when Al left the band, it kind of left Kyle on an Island. And so he was always like the loner at shows and he was always off doing his own thing by himself. And so it just made it like really, really, really weird. And me and him just didn't get along. We didn't see eye to eye. And so when I would bring a song to the, you know, to the table to say, Hey, let's do this. You know, you, you have in your head what you think that song should sound like. And, like the parts he would bring just weren't it. And if I tried to tell him, do it this way, like he wouldn't. Yeah. And it just got to the point where you'd be like, okay, play what you want. So then when those albums came out, like it wasn't what I wanted to hear, you know? And, but I'm not going to sit there and fight over every single note on every single album. So then you're just like, yeah, whatever sounds good. And then when the album's done, I'd listen to it and be like this, this is not what I had in mind. Like these songs, this is not like what I wanted it to sound like. So it wasn't until we did soundtrack to a revolution where he was gone, that those songs kind of are what I wanted them to sound like. That's actually my favorite album. Oh, good. Good, good, good. It's a really, really good question. So I have a question for you too. So you guys came out in 95, 96, the Supertones came out and their first album, I believe was 96 as well. 96 as well um the supertones were in a situation where mxpx left uh tooth and nail to go to a&m records and brennan ebel decided to pour all his money into the supertones right um which was a great gamble because it worked yeah because he because they because people many people might not even know this but um tooth and nail almost went under and but anyway so was it hard to see the Supertones have that success? No. Seeing as okay, no, I, I'm I'm not that person. I will I will rejoice in anyone's accomplishments. You know, if if you 
if you buy a $800,000 house and my $60,000 house is falling apart, I would applaud you because you worked hard enough and you were able to get that house. I, I never, um, trash anybody's accomplishments. So what they were able to do was absolutely amazing. And it just furthered, like it always just furthers you, right? So the more kids, like if they have 2 million fans, those 2 million fans are going to know about five iron and they're going to know about the insiders. Mm -hmm. So the bigger they got, it just let us kind of get like ride their coattails just like a little bit further. Yeah, I, admi we had, I admire that. We're going to see RJ. We had heard that too. We had spoken to uh, Matt uh, from the band Spoken, and we asked a similar question, you know, seeing bands like POD and Project 86 kind of make it uh, on the mainstream side of things. And he had a very similar answer that really bringing the genre up brings yeah. everybody up in that genre. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I just like when I came across your band, it was it was the Insiders, it was the OC Supertones, it was Five Iron Frenzy. You hear all those names, you don't hear one without the other. You know, it was always like, sure, yeah. here are some bands that are really, really good on this side, the Insiders. OC it's like Supertones, the Backstreet Five Boys Iron. in Sync. Yeah, and 98 <laughs> Degrees. That's right, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> unfortunately, what sucks in that in that parallel is we're 98 Degrees. Yeah, but 98 <laughs> Degrees has fans, and Listen, they're still around today. And 98 right. Degrees is romantic, my friend. Friend. I'll tell you right now. Yeah, yeah. They're you want to wind down your wife? You put on 98 degrees, a couple roses, a couple chagas, bada uh, bing, bada boom. I'll take your word I mean, for it. We don't want to put it, we don't want to put us out there, but you're on this podcast, not hey, the Supertone, not Five Iron. We shop for you. So there you go. I appreciate it. Um, we do have actually a question. Uh, I, I don't know if you can see this, it's on the screen now. Uh, Jesse says, uh, What have you been up to since 2012 and the band's last record? So, very similar. You had that nine year hiatus. You're now going on almost a nine year hiatus again. Um, what's been going on since then with you personally uh, since the last record? Um, the last record, I think, is it be, was did we put Center Songbook out in 2012? Has uh, it been that long? I think it has been that long. Been, yeah. It says two, 2012. Holy cow. Well, um, holy cow. It does not feel like that was eight years and ago. And you're 43. <laughs> and I'm 43, 43 years old. Yeah. Um, well, what have I done uh, personally? Like my my job i'm in law enforcement i'm a police officer so nice. that that is what i do that is um you know that's my my 9 to 5 every day and i do podcasting so i uh i have the one that we spoke of earlier it, it it's uh it doesn't come out regularly it's when we it's whenever we can do it it's called cross culture critic and so basically what uh, my co-host and I, Chris, he basically runs it. I'm, I'm, I'm basically his sidekick. I was listening to that today. It was fantastic. Yeah. So what we like to do is we like to take um, like pop culture, entertainment, books, music, movies, uh, look at them, kind of pick them apart through the lens of Christianity. Um, so that's a real fun one. And then I do one the complete opposite. I, I of, know. Go for of, it. I went here about this one. Of Cross Culture Critic. Um, I do one called The Average Jerks. What is this? What is this podcast? <laughs> I was I was reading about this a little bit earlier. I remember yeah. about food and drink and stuff like that. Yeah. So basically, um, I was doing there was a big radio station here in Detroit called 89X. Yep. And the morning DJ. His name's his name was Cal Cagno. Me and him were like high school buddies. And so he left the radio station. And when he left the radio station, he decided to start a podcast. And so he did the podcast for a while and then asked me to come on one day because one of his guests wasn't able to make it. 
Um, I think I was swimming in his pool that day and he's like, Hey, come in. Let's real quick do this podcast. You're going to be my guest. It worked out great because me and him just have a great dynamic. It worked out great. And so for about two years, I was his co-host on the Calcagno radio show. He recently retired. Like he is just in a different season of his life. He's like, I'm completely done with radio, with podcasting, with everything. Well, I have fun doing it. And it's it's a really fun hobby for me. So um, I had been pitching him this idea of how to change the format of the Calcagno radio show for months i've been trying to get him to change it so when he decided to retire i thought you know what i'm just going to do this on my own and see what we can do here and so a buddy of mine at work heard me talking about it he's like dude i'd love to be on that with you and so we decided to start it it's called the average jerks um and basically what we try and do it's just opinions it's just two guys talking the only way i can describe it is if you're sitting at a bar with two guys and you're just shooting the breeze. And so we talk about all sorts of things. We try and keep it local to Michigan. That is what we try and have our niche as um, talk about local, like local entertainment, like local places to eat, local sports, uh, local bands, anything local that we can talk about. Um, it does usually branch out from that, you know, uh, but that's what we try and keep it. And so with that, it's funny because I've been in the insiders. I do cross culture critic. And then I have this one and this one is like a pretty explicit, uh, content podcast. So, uh, my, what comes out of my mouth is PG, um, sometimes borders PG 13, but my co-host can take it. Uh, I don't think there is a rating for him. So, uh, (laughs) whatever comes out of his mouth comes out of his mouth. Christianity doesn't play into that one too much. I'm not shy about talking about it. I think I have talked about my faith um, on maybe one of them, but that one's just kind of for fun, opinionated. We kind of rant about stuff. Um, so that's what I've been doing. Um, obviously with COVID, uh, COVID messed everything up, but through COVID, I actually got back into my comic books. I was a comic book kind of geek growing up. Nice. And when COVID hit, it was it kind of coincided with the exact same time that the comic book industry market kind of blew up. And so I busted out all my old comics, made a bunch of money on them, and then took that money and kind of reinvested in more expensive comic books. And so that's what I've kind of been doing for fun is kind of buying and selling comics and doing podcasts and working and trying to be a good dad and failing at being a good husband and all that stuff. So yeah, that's what I've been doing. And yeah, no writing of songs. No, I, I, I don't think I have inspiration anymore. I, I honestly, I'm always one of those guys that, you know, I'm like, God puts something in your life for a season and then it's gone. I think insiders are, are, are gone for me. If, if you gave me a week and put me up in the most beautiful hotel in Hawaii and gave me a pen and paper, I don't think I could come up with one song. I don't think I could write one thing. I have zero, zero creativity left in me. Really? <laughs> yeah. Honest to God. It's like, I've, I've dealt with it. Like right now I could kind of talk about it like jokingly, but it's been like one of those things that through the last decade or so um, has really hurt me uh, because you know, it's like, and it's like anybody you're, you know, you're a writer, you're an artist 
And then all of a sudden, like one day you wake up and you can't do that art anymore. Like I can't write a song. I, I cannot write a song. It is, <laughs> it is impossible. Like I can't even write like a fun one. I can make up goofy lyrics to make my kids laugh. Yeah, at yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. But as far as like writing down my wife uh, that I married when we were dating, she's like, how about you write me a song? I can't like, it, I mean, it, it's horrible. Like these are the things that like tug at me. I, I, I can't write anymore. That's it's, like my, that's awful. like my wife taught me to run a mile. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> you're right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Well, I think it goes without saying, I mean, whether it ended in 2012 or it didn't, you came out with a lot of really great albums that I think changed uh, the genre that changed um, Christianity uh, in music. Um, and so, you know, thank you for, for sharing just a small that. portion of it. But honestly, if it ends in 2012 for you, um, you should be happy with, with the stuff that you came out with, whether it was your plan or not, uh, whether it was, was how it was supposed to be. I mean, for me as a new Christian in 2000, 2002, uh, hearing some of those songs for the first time, I was a Christian, but I wasn't strong enough. It was music like yours, like, uh, you know, other bands that I was listening to at the time, Jars of Clay, DC yeah. Talk, whatever. I was into everything. Um, it made my faith stronger. So even oh, though awesome. maybe you wanted to go out there and reach somebody who wasn't a Christian yet, but I think you reached a ton of people that needed strength as Christians um, and really kind of solidify their faith. So I um, appreciate that very much. And my favorite, one of my favorite songs ever by you guys. I love I, that song. I love how you throw that on and mute our mics so we can't see <laughs> yeah. anything. I, That's right. I like no that one's going to stop me if that happiness right there. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I enjoy that song a lot too. Um, that was a great rendition. Before we end these podcasts, I wanted to say so much. Thank you for everything. Um, one last question. Actually, I have two fun questions. Um, who was your favorite Christian band when you were around? Who's my favorite Christian band music wise or just hanging out with? Let's go with both. I'm feeling kind of, I'm feeling kind of crazy today. <laughs> um, music wise. I mean, I love five iron. Like they're, they were a good ska band and they wrote very fun, catchy stuff. Like there's stuff now I'm not as big on, like I'm not as big on the sound that they're putting out with their Kickstarter stuff. And, but that's fine. But like that, that second album, like our newest album ever, like mm. that was, that was amazing. That was on fire. And then like the little EPs that they did after that, like uh, proof that the youth are revolting. And, and you know, the, I, I think that's one that has like dandelions on it. That was like great music. POD put out good stuff too. POD mm. was a fantastic band. Even when they even when they were on Rescue Records back in the day, and his dad and uh, Marcos the guitarist, his dad put out those albums on his label. Yeah. They were they were a really good band. Yeah, yeah. So I think I think those were like the bands that like the the music I liked. And then as far as like guys, one one of the most like the bands that I had the most fun with uh, were Squad Five O, and I had a ton of fun touring with Chevelle. Uh, How Chevelle. is Chevelle? I haven't heard them in a long time. Yeah. Um, well, they were on Squint Records with you guys. They were. Before uh, you killed it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And they had gotten sold. Uh, you know, someone came in and swooped them, Capitol Records or someone yeah. came in and, and, and bought them. But those guys were great. 
I would have loved to have stayed in touch with them. I know they were on my buddy Cal's radio show. Uh, they were playing a concert and he had them on. And at the commercial, they were off air. He asked them and he was like, you know, hey, man, what's going on? You, you miss playing with the insiders? And they were like, what? And he was like, yeah, you guys, you guys, you talk to the insiders much. And they were like, we don't know who you're talking about. And so he was like, oh, my bad. And then they went on with the interview. The interview was over. And then after it, um, Sam, the the drummer, yeah, went up to Cal and was like, he was thinking that Cal was going to blindside them, blindside them uh, as far as like in the interview and talk yeah. about like their, their Christian past. Yeah. And so he said that's where he thought Cal was coming from. And that's why he deflected it. And then when he saw as the rest of the, as the rest of the interview went, that Cal wasn't like that after Sam was like, Hey man, uh, I didn't mean to like diss you or the insiders or whatever. He's like, we loved those guys. You know, I don't know what they're doing now. You know, that kind of thing. Like he was like, oh, I hope they're doing okay. Cal was kind of like, yeah, they are. They just, you know, kind of did whatever, kind of gave them the update. And that was that. But touring with them, we had a ton of, I had a ton of fun with, Chevelle and the guys from Squad Five O. That's awesome. Now, nice. um, all right. Well, thank you so much for this podcast. This is a really yeah, awesome no podcast. You are so down to earth. It's pretty. It's pretty sweet. Oh, and thanks, so- man. I just I just like talking. If you guys if you guys want to do a part two or part three, just give me a call. Hey, <laughs> how about we come on the average jerk and <laughs> I don't know if you want to. Although my boy up here is throwing down booze, he could probably. That's what I'm talking be on about. It. Yeah. By the yeah. way, you don't know, but that's like he, he's like five back already right now. Oh, I good. am not. I am not. I got to catch true. up. I got to catch up. <laughs> See, the best I thing am. about this, you're you're. These are tired eyes. I'm yeah. tired. That's it. I love that the fact that you're in your daughter's room right now. This is fantastic. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. She and if I can point this up here, she put up Christmas lights. <laughs> So that's I, awesome. Yeah, I had to get she she had the best like mood mood lighting in, in the oh, house. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for the, the uh thanks awesome, for having awesome, me. awesome interview. Um we had the four seven podcast. We had the pleasure of having Mr. Joe Yerke on the podcast today. Um now Joe, tell us one more time so everyone can tell you that you have the the jerk the yerky the yerky jerky. No, <laughs> not the yerky jerky, the average jerk, right? Podcast. Yeah, yeah. Not the jerky, yep. not the jerky, jerky, not the average jerks. No, and please, no. yeah. <laughs> and what is the other yeah, podcast so I, I can have you on? It's called Cross Culture Critic, and you yeah. can find that I believe on all the normal podcast stuff. And Average Jerks, which is uh, we're on iTunes and we're on Spotify, and that's kind of the two that we're sticking with. Um, like I said, it the content is. You know, it can get a little crazy. Some of the stuff that we talk about can get a little weird, but so be um, warned. Yeah, but it's it's for fun, <laughs> it's for humor. Just you might not want to listen to it in the car with your kids. <laughs> well, we're gonna end the podcast. If you could stay on just for one more moment after we end, yeah, for it'd sure. be great. But um, once again, thank you so much, guys. This is the four seven podcast, and we'll see you next time. See you. <laughs>